I want to take a little break from Gersh Tshuva and to continue focusing on the theme that we started yesterday. Um, I just shared with you the conclusion of it about how our Cheshman Nefesh, our spiritual stock-taking, should be associated with Hashem's kindness. They're thinking about how close Hashem is with us and Hashem is constantly pouring kindness upon us. So therefore, we want to be good in the eyes of Hashem. But I want to um, actually go into the last talk that we have from our Rebbe, from Pasha Kisave, and uh, go through the whole discussion and to get the full flavor of where we're going. It's not the Mitla Rebbe writes about Cheshvan Nefesh specifically, actually. The Cheshvan Nefesh has to be done with Bina. Bina means, Bina, we know what Bina, Bina means understanding. But Mitra Rebbe says a Cheshvan Nefesh has to be done with, with details. It's not enough just to give a general sacked um, in about yourself and say, this is where I'm up to, this is what has to be fixed. Mithra writes that should be done with Bina, with deep and detailed uh, concentration. And the reason for that is, is of course, because you want to have deep and detailed uh, elevation in your where you are to somewhere better. So therefore, the details are important. Um so in a similar way, the the impetus and the energy of the Cheshman Nefesh also has to have the full flavor of Chacham Bin Das to bring us there. So uh, it's not enough just to know what the Rebbe's general opinion and uh, vote Rebbe. Uh, Someone's by the door, one second. Hello? Hi. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. The Friedrich Rebbe says that which literally means if you want to say a lie then you give testimony in a very general term in general general terms if you want to say that uh, Reuven killed Shimon and you don't want to be disproved and someone say that Reuven didn't kill Shimon so you give the least, the, the least details as possible so that way no one can say well how could this be because of A, B and C so in a similar way, the Friedrich Rebbe said that when people aren't uh, serious about something, they speak about it in general terms. But a Cheshvanefesh has to be in detail. So let's also go into the, the talk of the Rebbe, where there begins this discussion about Cheshvanefesh and preparation for the new year. And uh, it's a machaya. It's really a machaya. The Rebbe doesn't... Uh, when you think of the word Cheshvan Nefesh, what, what, what kind of, what, what's, your, what's your reaction to the word Cheshvan Nefesh? The natural reaction that I have to Cheshvan Nefesh is, I'm bad, I have to be changed, who knows what's going to happen. 
And as I mentioned yesterday, the Rebbe says the Chajnafesh is a whole different thing. Chajnafesh has to do with Abish's kindness to you. And you want to be good in the eyes of Hashem. It's a whole different thing. Anyways, let's go from this. This talk is from 1991. And the Rebbe addresses the Mitzvah Bikurim. Mitzvah Bikurim is that everyone has to bring their first fruits and best fruits to Hashem to thank Hashem for their produce. This Mitzvah is brought in this parasha in the same conversation or the same commandment about the covenant of all of Terimitzis. When Hashem asks Moshe Rabbeinu to make a covenant with us with a, for, for, to keep the Torah, in addition to the covenant that was made at Sinai, uh, right before this, we are told about the mitzvah of the first fruits, which sounds like the mitzvah of the first fruits is a very general theme. And it's just like the mitzvah of, uh, and, and it's therefore right in the same conversation about the covenant of all of Yiddishkeit. All of Yiddishkeit, the mitzvah of the first fruits seem to be, the Torah introduces them in a way that seems to be, they seem to be the same thing. Especially the way that Rashi says this. Rashi writes that the words the Torah uses for the covenant, today Hashem is commanding you to keep the Torah. Rashi says this Pasuk is a blessing for the one who fulfills the mitzvah of the first fruits. If you bring the first fruits, then a voice comes out from heaven and says, you will merit once again to bring the first fruits. So in that context, the Torah then introduces the commandment of keeping the covenant forever. So the question is, what is, it's not just really in the same Torah portion, it's Mamish in the very same section. The, the Torah speaks about the Mitzvah Bikurim, and in that same context, in that same conversation, there's Mitzvah Bikurim. Now, the Mitzvah Bikurim isn't the Mitzvah that you would think that is associated with the covenant of all of Yiddishkeit, because it's a very specific Mitzvah, and there's very specific parameters that don't apply to all people in all places and all things. First of all, it's a mitzvah that only applies in the land of Israel. Second of all, it only applies when the Beis Hamikdash stood. Third of all, it only applies with seven specific fruits that Israel's prays for. Fifth of all, it only applies to someone who owns land in the land of Israel. Sixth of all, it has to be good land. And there are many other. Uh, seventh of all, you can only bring bikurim from. Shavuos until Sukkot. It's a very. It's not. It doesn't apply all year. There are many other things about Bikurim that make it very specific and limited to a certain kind of person, a certain kind of time, and a certain time part of the year. And therefore, it would not be the thing that you'd think that would represent all of Yiddishkeit. And as Rashi says, that from this mitzvah Bikurim, we are supposed to get the instruction that every single day you keep Torah. And the Torah has to be in your eyes like it's brand new. That this is, this it's supposed to be something, something brand new today. And so, if it only applies to certain places and certain times, so then it 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 uh, really would not seem the mitzvah of choice to represent all of Yiddishkeit. I mean, why not pick a mitzvah like like davening, something we do every day and several times a day, mitzvah tzedakah? Why pick the mitzvah of the first fruits, which is only relevant to very few people, to historically, to a very 
a few generations and a very specific class of people. That's question number one. Question number two is the name of the parsha. The name of the parsha is Savai, which means when you will arrive. The name of a parsha expresses the theme of that parsha. So, Savai, when you arrive, where, where will you arrive? You'll arrive in the land of Israel. Seemingly, that, that word, the, when you arrive in the land of Israel, is not a theme, it's just a, just a detail. When you arrive in the land of Israel, then you have a mitzvah, the mitzvah of Yikurim. But it's not anything that's significant. It's just a means to an end. In order to do the mitzvah of Yikurim, you have to first arrive in Israel. So why is the entire Torah portion, which includes the mitzvah of Yikurim, and, and more importantly, it includes the covenant of all of Yiddishkeit, why, does it, why is it called by the name Savai, when you arrive? I know what Jonathan Hamburger is thinking. He's thinking because half of Yiddishkeit is just showing up, just arriving. I'm here, it's for the Chassidus class, and Muhammad is thinking the same thing, fine. So um, that's, that's a nice vart, but seriously, what is the meaning of Kisave? Kisave means when you arrive in the land of Israel, why is that the whole of Yiddishkeit? Why, why, is, that, why is that the name of this parsha, which is so central to what being a Jew means? So, to understand this, we have first explain a little, little bit more about how the Mitzvah Bikurim works in comparison to other ways of expressing thanks to Hashem. The theme of Bikurim is gratitude. The one who brings the fruits to Hashem expresses that he recognizes that all of the blessings we have in the world come from God. The blessing of God has brought me to have fruit in my field, and therefore the farmer says, I will put away my best fruits for Hashem. The first and best fruits of his field are going to be brought to Hashem who has blessed him with all this kindness. And his feeling of thanks is is a very general thing about being being having a feeling of thanks to Hashem is a very basic and fundamental and all-encompassing thing of being Jewish. That doesn't mention this here but other Svarim say that that's what the meaning of the word Yehudi. Yehudi means the one who thanks. The, the root of the word Yehuda is Hoida'a, which means thanks. Being Jewish means to thank. And that's not just something that is our title, but as Rebbe emphasizes, the moment you wake up from your sleep, the very first thing you do in the morning every single day is to thank Hashem. That, that's, that's the fundamental step of your day, Everything in your day is based upon this. Then you continue to thank Hashem for all different things that happen to you. And as we say in Moedim, I thank you, Hashem, for the kindnesses that you are giving me in the evening, in the morning, in the afternoon. And then throughout the day, you say brachas and the various things that Hashem has given you throughout the day. And you thank Hashem for some commands. There are some mitzvahs, there's some expressions of thanks which are rabbinic, then there's a mitzvah to thank Hashem for food, for bread. It's a biblical commandment. But all day you are doing, throughout your day, you're encountering different things that you're enjoying and you're always thanking Hashem. This theme is also something that's not only particularly Jewish, it's something we find the nations of the world do this as well. They have also this idea of thanking Hashem for their food. 
And this is something that is very, um, this is part of the fabric of creation, as we discussed yesterday, that Hashem chose to create the world in a way that He constantly has to be there to animate and create the world. He could have created the world in a way that the world just goes on autopilot. They, and I know that Aryeh remembers the second chapter in Shaykh Munah, where the Alter Rebbe says that it's impossible for the world to go on autopilot. There has to be a constant force because since the world is something from nothing, that's something from something. So, so, it, so although a table is possible to put the table together and let, let the table go by itself, but the world is something from nothing, and therefore there has to be a constant force of Hashem to keep it into existence because there, there is a change that Hashem has brought into the world, and that whenever you make a significant change, you have to keep that change there, otherwise it will revert to the way it was before. So making a table out of wood isn't a significant change, and therefore it's possible for it to stay, but throwing a ball to the air requires a constant force, and how much more so making the change of not existing to existing certainly requires a constant force. So while that is true, and that is a uh, that, that is something that, Hash, that the Alter Rebbe says is a reason why Hashem made the world this way, but it's not the real underlying reason, because that reason is just a logical thing. Logic isn't what does all and says all for the one who created logic. God created logic. So God could have created the world in a way that it would be logical for the world to run on autopilot. Could have created the world in a way that there'd be not the chapter two in Shariqah and Muna would explain why the world does run on autopilot. Whatever. But uh and and more the Abishter really has a specific plan for creation. And the fact that we understand some of it is only because Hashem has gave us a mitzvah to know about Hashem. So therefore Hashem created the world in a way that it fits into the laws of logic in some, in some way, because Hashem wants us to connect with Him, with our seichel. So Hashem did create the world in a way that that is logical, and therefore, that it's logical that the world did not does not um, run an autopilot, that's a, that's a valid point, because Hashem created the world in a logical way. But let's go deeper. Why did Hashem create the world that logic makes that logic works this way? Why couldn't Hashem create the world in a way that logic works in a different way that is illogical for the world to run in a way that Hashem is to constantly create the world? In fact, staying saying it, it, it's it's it, you could hear an argument the opposite way. Hashem decided to create the world in a way that's totally supernatural, in a way that we cannot understand. Because why should Hashem bother to have to constantly recreate the world every second when He could just create the world at once and let it go. So why did he? So the answer is that the Abishter has infinite kindness to each creature. And he wants to express that kindness to each creature every single moment of its existence. And the purpose of that is to bring each of us to have this deep recognition and feeling that everything that we have is all from Hashem. Hashem wants us to constantly feel dependent on His kindness. He wants to express the kindness all the time. As it says in many Svarim, different reasons for creation. One of the reasons of creation is because the Abishter is the essence of kindness and it is the nature of someone who is kind to do kindness. 
And therefore, Hashem wanted there to be a world so he could do kindness. That's one explanation. Now, the Alter says different explanation, but let's not get into that. Okay, fine, let's get into it. Briefly, the reasons that are given for creation, there are very different levels within the entire spiritual cosmos. And there are different values that are seen from different perspectives throughout the spiritual cosmos just like in our lives there are certain things which seem important at certain times in our life and then later on in life those things don't seem so important so in a similar way from the different vantage points in the spiritual cosmos there are certain things which seem to be very important as they reason for creation so the godly energy in the world of Atsilus recognizes revelation as being something important and therefore from that perspective the purpose of creation is for revelation of godliness. But that is accomplished by the creation of the world of Atsilas. You don't have to have any lower worlds than that to accomplish this. The reason for creating the world, says another Sfarim, say it's Chaim, with Gal Hashem to reveal Hashem's power and strength. The reason to do kindness, all of these reasons apply to certain worlds and certain uh, parts of the spiritual cosmos. But they don't go as far as to explain the necessity of creating this lowest world, the lo- world that's lower than all others. Because all the reasons that are given by the various uh, philosophers about the purpose of creation, various tzaddikim, are only addressing the way Hashem expresses Himself through the various levels of the spiritual cosmos, but not God's essence. The Alter Rebbe addresses God's essence. And he says, why did God in His essence choose to create the world? And he brings the Medrash, which says, God desired to have a home in the lowest realm. A desire, says the Alter Rebbe, is Ken Kasha. There cannot be a question about a desire. Desire comes from the, is higher than logic. And since the desire is higher than logic, so therefore you cannot give a reason for it. So in fact, when you do find a reason for something, that means you're not really talking about God's essence. Because in God's essence, God's essence is higher than logic, higher than reasons. So therefore, talking about God's essence, we would say that creation is not logical. It's a desire Hashem has, but we do know what He does want. Maybe we don't know why. Maybe there cannot be a full reason why, because you're talking about a place above logic. But we do know what He does want. What Hashem does want is He wants to have a home in the lowest realm. And therefore, specifically, the essence of Hashem desires this world more than all others. This is the goal of creation because this is the lowest world, the world which is most similar to the essence of Hashem because just like the essence of Hashem has no source, so too this world feels like it has no source. And, therefore, and the reason we feel that way is because this world has direct connection to God's essence. Getting back to our theme over here about Hashem's kindness in creating the world every moment. So Hashem could have created the world any way He wanted to, in a way that defies logic. But He chose to create the world in a way that constantly relies on His kindness because He wants us to feel dependent on His kindness and to feel gratitude and appreciation for Him. And that is what is unique about the Mitzvah Bikurim, that there's a significant change in this Mitzvah to the way we express our, kindness, our, thank, our gratitude to Hashem that, that surpasses the way we express this gratitude in all of their mitzvahs. 
In all other mitzvahs, we express our kindness to Hashem, we open up a siddur and we say a bracha. We memorize the bracha, we mumble the bracha. The mitzvah Bikurim requires us to get up and do something. I don't know if this is true or not, but some people say that there is there are various responses that we give in davening, to various parts of davening. When the chazan says Hashem's name, we say Baruch Hu When the chazan says, finishes a bracha, we say Amen. But there is one part of davening, there is a, in Maidim, the chazan gets up to the word, the word thank you. Get up and say thank you. Don't just sit down there. And when it comes to saying thank you, Hashem wants us to get up and say thank you. So that's the mitzvah Bikurim is, Hashem says, get up and say thank you and come to the base of Mikdash and bring the first, first fruits. It's not just about saying it and thinking about it. The farmer actually goes and leaves the fruits with Hashem in the base of Mikdash. That, that means that he is doing a, a far more encompassing expression of thanks. Not only is he saying that, he, thank you Hashem, I got the fruits, now I'll see you later. He's actually bringing the fruits and leaving them there, expressing that they still belong to Hashem. That it's still Hashem's. It doesn't have, the, the possession hasn't changed. Which is why, the re- that's also the reason, by the way, that we write in our, in our Svarim, To Hashem the wor- belongs the world and, it, and everything in it, in it. Before you write your name, you write the, the world and everything in it belongs to Hashem. Why write that in your Siddur? And why you write your, in your, your name in the Siddur? If you're writing it belongs to Hashem, then why write your name? In yeshiva, now yeshivas are beginning to learn Gemara, so it's, when everyone, everyone puts their Gemaras away, everyone has like a sign in their Gemara to uh, to figure out which one is their Gemara, because everyone has the same one. So very often, a boy picks out the wrong Gemara, and he uses someone else's Gemara, and someone else gets angry at him, that's my Gemara. And the guy says, what do you mean? It says, belongs to Hashem, Hashem Ratzim Leah. Okay, so that's, that seems to just be a, uh, a a nice expression of thanks. And now the Gemara belongs to you, and that's why the guy says, no, it, it belongs to Hashem, Hashem gave it to me. That's what the guy responds. But it's not really correct what he responds. The Rebbe says, the reason you sign your name in your Siddur, under the words, to Hashem belongs the earth and everything in it, is like a form of testimony. You're signing your name to testify the truth of that sentence. To Hashem belongs the earth and everything in it. Signed, Dr. Bressman. You're expressing that this isn't, that you believe in this. This is something you believe in. And so uh, maybe that's why you would um, be, be a little kinder when, when that person takes your Gemara. A little off-color story in this subject. Uh, my great-grandfather, Rabbi Sol Nedler, was a school teacher. And there was a boy in his class who had a brand new Gemara. Another child wanted to look at the Gemara. So he never he never seen a brand new Gemara. You know, in Russia, they all use, you know, one Sefer and two Svarim for a huge class. This kid has a brand new Gemara of his own. Wow, let me see that. So he wanted to see the Gemara, but the other boy, you know, lifted the Siddur up, you know, like, you can't look at this. So my grandfather says to him, uh, you read the Mishnah, please. Me'emasai, from when? He slaps him. Me'emasai doesn't mean from when. Me'emasai means that if you have a, a brand new Gemara and a child wants to see your Gemara, you let him read. The, you let him see the Gemara. Read the next word. Koyinishma. We read Shma. Koyinishma means if there's a boy who wants to look at your Gemara, you let them look at your Gemara. So, 
the guy, I'm sure, uh, either learned his lesson or had to go to therapy the rest of his life. But the point is that that is some, it's something fundamental to being Jewish that uh, <laughs> that it belongs to you, but it doesn't totally belong to you. As it says in Ayom Yom, the Hasidim used to say, the piece of bread I have is yours like it is mine. That they recognize that it's not their own, it's Hashem's, and therefore it belongs to other Jew as much as it belongs to them, and even more, it's dinary minor, it's yours like it's mine. So in yeshiva, it's not uh, so easy with all these boys taking a gemara every day, perhaps, and people have to stand up for themselves, whatever, yes or no. But the point is that uh, this feeling of gratitude to Hashem comes everyone's nerves down a lot when, when people think about other people encroaching on their space or on their things. So the Jew expresses his full and deep appreciation for Hashem by leaving the first fruits in front of Hashem. And it's, it's, it's a, as we would say in the vernacular today, it's a, what do we say? Not, not a full body experience. What's, what's the other word do we say today? Um, it's interactive experience. He does something. His whole being is there. It's a, a full immersion, full immersion experience. He, he is totally there, not just with his words, not just with his thoughts, but his whole being is there expressing thanks to Hashem. Since we started with off-color, let's continue with another off-color story. So, and conclude with this. This Jew was a soldier in the Tsar's army, and all of the soldiers of the Tsar had to prepare for the Tsar's arrival. But it was a hot day, and they're all staying at attention for, for several hours, and the Tsar isn't coming, so the Jew decides it's time to go to take a little swim. So he runs off to a nearby stream, takes off his clothing, jumps into the water, and he hears the trumpets, the Tsar has arrived. Oh, no. So he has to rush back to attention or else. So he can't, there's no time to get dressed. <clears throat> he grabs his bayonet, <clears throat> he grabs his rifle, and he stands at attention. And out of all the 30,000 soldiers standing at attention, uh, Waldo was sticking out. You know, it was obvious there's one guy here that, that doesn't look like he belongs the same way. So the Tsar notices this immediately and he says, Adisida, come here, what's going on? So he says, Your Majesty, who guards you, my clothing or myself? The story expresses, and the Tsar forgave him, the, the story expresses that there is ourselves and there are things that we do with our thoughts and our words and our, and our actions. The Mitzvah Bikurim expresses how your whole being appreciates Hashem's kindness. And not just something that you do when you say, but you yourself are there. You yourself appreciate Hashem's kindness. That's what it's meant to do. You travel to Vesem Mikdash. There's a whole procession that the Ramam discusses. You travel there to be there, to feel, to be the guy who appreciates the Ebishter. Okay, that's what we'll, we'll conclude today. Any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes, or cucumbers? Oh, sorry. You guys asked questions before? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear. Oh, yeah, tons of questions, comments, everything. It was on 35. I thought 35 was uh, enough to hear. The laptop, it put on 100 to hear anything. Yes, Aryeh. Saigazun, okay. Great day of Aryeh, great day of David, great day of Yonatan, great day of Great day of Beryl, great day of Baruch.